Hi there, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word and learn more about how to glorify Him as one of His congregations. The lesson you're about to hear comes from Acts chapter 2, an instance in which about 3,000 souls were added to the body of Christ. What amazing lessons we can learn there about being Christ's church, being Christ's people, and how to become part of Christ's people. So open your Bibles to Acts 2, and let's learn from the 3,000 souls that were added. We call the fifth book of the New Testament the Acts of the Apostles. Now, take a look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, The first account I compose, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles, whom he had chosen. Luke, the writer of Acts, says that first account, that is the Gospel of Luke, I wrote to tell you what Jesus began to do. I believe there's an implication in that statement. The implication in that statement is now I'm writing the second treatise, O Theophilus, to tell you what Jesus continued to do. And so while we often look at this as the Acts of the Apostles, I think what Luke was presenting was actually the Acts of Jesus Christ. No doubt these Acts were performed by the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, but as we take a look at what's happening in the book of Acts, we need to recognize that this is the Lord's work. This is the Lord working. He is using His tools, His people, His, his brethren, but nevertheless, it is the Lord's work. And therefore, as we take a look at the book of Acts, we see the work that the Lord wants done. And this is very important for us because today we need to recognize that just like these folks that we read about in the book of Acts were Christ's tools for His work here in this world, that is exactly what we are as His children. We are His tools. And while nobody today is going to be writing an inspired account of the work that we have done, we need to recognize that in this world today, Jesus still wants to work. But His plan is to work through us. And if He is going to work through us, then we need to be following the examples of these folks back here that He worked through in the first century. And as we read the book of Acts, it's certainly true that we see examples about how to worship God, and it's certainly true that we see examples about the work of the church. But perhaps the greatest work that we see of Christ throughout the book of Acts is the work of taking someone who is lost and dying in sin and heading for hell and turning them into someone who is saved, forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, and now destined by the grace of God for eternity in heaven. What an amazing accomplishment Jesus worked numerous times throughout the book of Acts. So many demonstrations in this book of people becoming children of God. And if we want to be involved in the work of Christ, if we want Christ to continue working in this world through us, it stands to reason that we need to take a look at what these folks did. How these folks were saved how they behaved once they were saved, and how they continued spreading that message of Jesus Christ. Because if we do what they did, Christ will continue to work in this world through us. Seems like no better place to start to look at that than the very first accounts of conversion found in Acts chapter 2 when about 3,000 souls were added to the body of Christ. 
this very first example of conversion and what an amazing example it was. I want us to take a look at Acts chapter 2 and learn some lessons for us today. Very simple lessons. Before we do that, would you pray with me, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we are humble before you. We want to be your servants. We are not concerned about our own will and our own work, Father. In fact, we ask that you forgive us for the times that we've been selfish, that our greatest concern has been about our own efforts and our own safety and our own work and our own all the things that we're wanting to do. Father, we pray that you would help us to be most concerned about your work, that your Son can continue to work through his church, and that he'll work through this church here in Franklin and in Middle Tennessee. Father, we pray that you would strengthen us to learn the lessons that you have recorded in Acts 2 for us, that we can be like that early church, that we can spread the gospel and others will be drawn to you by your word and by your wisdom. Forgive us when we have not always been the proper examples. Forgive us when we've not taught as we ought. Forgive us for the times when we've fallen short of your will and help us to overcome those things, to turn away from the tempter, and to walk in your path of righteousness and to spread your gospel, to be lights in this world. We ask that you would strengthen us by your grace. Help us to understand the word of your Spirit that we might be able to take it to others and help them understand as well. We pray that you strengthen us to be your servants, to glorify and honor you because we're not worried about our glory but yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to just begin by reading Acts chapter 2. And I realize that it's a rather lengthy reading and we don't normally do that. And of course it's dangerous because by the time I'm done... There are going to be a lot of people that are already asleep and wandering off here and, and yonder. But, you know, one of the things we need to do is just learn how to devote our attentions to the Word of God. And let's just begin by reading the chapter. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Verse 5, Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why, are, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking the mighty deeds of God. They all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, They're full of sweet wine. Verse 14, Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my bond slaves, both men and women. I will in those days pour forth of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exulted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make, full, make me full of gladness with your presence. Verse 29, Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet, and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did, he, did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. And with many other words He solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41, So then those who had received His Word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions, and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. No doubt we could take hours and hours and hours to discuss all of the lessons that we could learn here from Acts chapter 2. But today I just want us to focus on six very important lessons that have to deal with evangelism and that have to deal with obeying God's gospel plan of salvation. The very first thing that I think we need to recognize, and this is for the Christians, the members of the church, that we need to recognize that if we're going to be effective at bringing people to Christ, the very first thing we have to do is attract attention. Well, I recognize that, that the Holy Spirit didn't reach down and just miraculously save anyone on this day. I do realize that verses 1 through 12 in the work of the Spirit was integral in what happened. I mean, what would have happened if the apostles had just stayed in their upper room and just taught this gospel they were learning to themselves? 
But instead, the Holy Spirit makes a noise like a mighty rushing wind. And people from all over the city come to find out what's happened. And then when they get there, they see the work of the Holy Spirit where He's caused them to speak in tongues and they're hearing in their own native languages instead of hearing the Galilean Hebrew or Aramaic. And they wonder, what's going on? And so they stop and they listen. If we want folks to listen to our message, we've got to be attracting their attention. Now, there are a lot of churches today that have realized that and they've sold out to the issues of the social gospel and the youth groups and the, and the welfare programs and the benevolence outreaches and, and all kind of entertaining venues. And they're trying to draw people in with all of those things, attract attention, and then maybe we'll be able to teach them the gospel. But I think we should do exactly what the apostles did. I believe we should continue to rely on the Holy Spirit to attract attention for us. Now, I recognize that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 demonstrates that miraculous gifts of the Spirit were only for a brief time in the church's history in its infancy. The Holy Spirit is no longer going to work through us through miraculous gifts. But I still believe that the Holy Spirit will be the one that attracts attention. Look in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, Jesus there in the Sermon on the Mount said, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. How do we attract attention? By allowing our lights to shine through our good work. And that makes me think of Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22. And there the Scripture says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Brethren, if we'll live by the Spirit, that is, live by His rule, if we'll walk by the Spirit, that is, walking by His guidance, will bear the fruit of the Spirit. And don't you think that folks will take notice? Because let's face it, in our world, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, there's not a whole lot of that. And there's certainly not a whole lot of that in any one person in our world. And if we start demonstrating that, people will stand up and take notice. And they'll want to listen to the Spirit's message because they'll see us living by the Spirit. The second thing we recognize is that we'll always have detractors. Even these folks who witnessed this amazing work of God, they heard the mighty rushing wind, they saw all these, these Galileans speaking in these languages that they didn't know, there were still people who mocked them and detracted them. Verse 13, they're full of sweet wine. You know, there seem to be some folks today that are holding out for some kind of universal popularity. They believe there's some way for me to preach a lesson that everybody's going to like it and nobody's going to be offended and everybody's just going to want to obey and that just isn't going to happen. We take a look at Acts 2 and we say, oh, 3,000 people. Well, that sure is a lot. I mean, that, how come we can't do that? Well, we need to keep in mind the tens of thousands of people that heard the message. It was still the minority. There are going to be detractors no matter what we do. In fact, look again in Matthew 5. In Matthew 5, we find the Beatitudes. And wouldn't you imagine that somebody who lived by these Beatitudes would just be the most lovable person? 
the person that everyone would like and want to be around. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. How can you not like this guy? But the same person is the one that he talks about in verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When Luke recorded this statement, you'll remember, he added, and woe to you when all men speak well of you. Woe to you when all men like you. Because so did your fathers treat the false prophets. We're always going to have detractors. We're never going to have universal popularity, so we should quit trying. I'm not saying that we should be mean. But I am pointing out that there are always going to be people that don't like us. And so instead of trying to sugarcoat it and water it down and try to get people in by not telling them fully what the gospel says and then hopefully along the line getting it into their heads, let's just not sugarcoat. We need to let folks know the danger of sin. I just want you to think about this there on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Peter is looking at all the Jews that are there. Many of them had been there at the Passover and had cried out, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! And now he looks at them. How do you think they felt about verses 22 and 23? Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through Him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. What about verse 36? Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You think those Jews like to hear that? They would have probably have preferred to hear, well, you know, look, I, you know, I'm not the judge and I can't say anything about what you've done and how you've lived and all these other things. But, but you know, really, I think, I, you know, I don't know. Jesus was on that cross and you were kind of in the crowd. And, I mean, maybe, but don't you think you should think about it? And he didn't sugarcoat it. He just said, look, you did this. And now you need a Savior. And we must not sugarcoat for folks today the devastating nature of sin and the absolute need for a Savior. Isaiah 59 in verse 2 says, Your sins have separated you from God. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, has pointed out that false gospels have not helped. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you receive, he is to be accursed. False gospels, all these other messages out there are not saving people. And we've got to get that message out. You know, if we were riding in the car with somebody and they were speeding along and we knew that there was a speeding trap coming up, we'd say to them, hey, you're speeding. If you don't watch out, you're going to get a ticket. 
Would anybody say, oh, will you stop judging me? Of course not. We'd say that that was loving. If we knew that somebody was doing something that was going to destroy their body, and we said to them, you've got to stop doing that. You're going to die young. Will we get upset and then get mad? No, we'd all do that. How much more? We're talking to folks about their souls. Do we need to get the message of truth out about sin and the one gospel of Christ? And that actually gets us to our fourth lesson because the fourth thing that we need to learn is we've got to teach Christ's gospel. We've got to teach Christ's gospel. There are all kinds of, of meetings taking place this morning all over the world. And they're going to preach sermons that are great, that are rousing, that, that even the, the sermons uh, will be teaching the truth. But then they're going to get to the end and they're going to ask for folks to become children of God. And is it going to sound like this? Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Spirit. The gift of the Spirit there being the promise of salvation that was made that anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Is that what folks are going to be hearing all over the world today? We've got to teach God's gospel plan of salvation. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations. How? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, Jesus said, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Do you see what Christ's message of the Gospel was? And there in Acts chapter 2, the people had cried out, What shall we do? That statement alone demonstrated their faith, that they now believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and they now believed that they had killed Him and they needed a Savior. And Peter's response was not, say the sinner's prayer. Peter's response was not a moment of faith. Peter's response was not pray through to salvation. Peter's response was, repent. Turn away from your sins. And be baptized for the remission of those sins. And then you'll receive the salvation promised by the Spirit. Then you'll receive the gift of the Spirit. And we've got to teach that. And let's not muddy the waters saying, that, well, you know, I, I did get baptized. The question is, did you get baptized for the remission of sins? Having faith in the working of God, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, 
Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12 points out that having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God. There are so many people today that don't believe God is working in baptism. They believe it's just a symbol of what God already did. Baptism is only effective when we believe that God is working through us. And there's only one gospel. That's the message they taught. You see it throughout the New Testament. But sadly, that's not the message you're going to see taught throughout churches today. And that's the message we've got to teach if people are going to be saved. The fifth thing that we recognize is it's the Lord that saves. I can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. If you're not a child of God, I can't save you. And when we're done, you can't save you. Despite all the things that God has commanded from us, we realize that there's not a single thing that we can do that suddenly earns us salvation. Even that baptism. You can go into the watery grave of baptism. You can be baptized 2,000 times. And when that's said and done, you haven't suddenly now obligated God to save you because of the amazing work of baptism. It's the Lord who adds to His body. In fact, in verse 47, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Salvation comes by the grace of God when we obey Him. It's still grace because we don't deserve it. But we recognize that He's promised if you'll submit to Him in baptism for the remission of your sins, having believed that Jesus is the Christ, confessing that thing, turning away from your sins, that He will extend His grace. And we will be saved. But when that's done, the person who was baptized shouldn't sit there and say, oh, I saved myself because of my baptism. And the person who did the baptizing or the person who did the teaching should not sit back and say, oh, look at who I saved. Because only the Lord saves. And the final thing that we need to recognize is that it's not about baptism only. That's one of the amazing things. Sadly, today, so often among teachers and among people who are, who are trying to help folks come to Jesus Christ, it's almost like we're converting folks to baptism. We're arguing about baptism over and over again. And of course, we have to because there's so many people that are saying you don't have to do it. But I'm afraid at times that we, we push that message and we push that message and we get up to baptism we think, great, it's done, it's over, they're saved, everything's good. But when we look in Acts chapter 2, we have to remember that when those folks were converted, it didn't stop at baptism. Conversion didn't equal baptism. Conversion equals a changed life. Baptism was, essentially, was simply the initial step into that life with Christ. Because in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. What do we got here? They were continually devoting themselves to the Word of God as it was coming through the apostles, learning what they needed to do to be Christians. They were continually devoting themselves to fellowship. That is, the joint partnership with the brethren in Christ. And I'm not going to preach about this lesson, but guys, this isn't about potlucks. This is about what we're doing right now. And they were continually devoting themselves to that. We didn't have to listen to folks. Well, maybe they did. I'm sure folks haven't changed. But these folks were devoting themselves to it. They weren't saying, now look, you can't convince me I have to come again tonight. I've already been there once today. That's another sermon. I don't want to get off track. To the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, remembering the death of Jesus Christ. They were devoting themselves to that and to the worship of God in prayer. They were devoted. This wasn't, I got baptized and now I'm good so I can do what I want. 
They recognized that Jesus Christ did not die so that they could be half-hearted, nominal Christians that were trying to just get away with as little as possible. They were devoting themselves to Christ, doing everything they possibly could to serve God and do His will because they were changed. And that's where we need to be. Some amazing things here. We need to be like these apostles. Attracting attention. Yes, we're going to have detractors. But we're not going to allow the detractors to cause us to sugarcoat the gospel and search for universal popularity. We're just going to teach God's gospel. We're going to allow God to save His way. And we're going to push people, not just to get baptized, but to be truly converted. And so my question to you this morning is, are you converted to Christ? Have you submitted to this gospel? If not, don't let this day pass without being converted to Christ. I certainly hope this look at Acts chapter 2 and the 3,000 souls that were added to the body of Christ has been beneficial to you. Let's remember what we've learned. First, we must live lives that attract attention. Second, we will always have detractors. Third, we must not sugarcoat the gospel. Fourth, we must teach Christ's gospel plan of salvation. Fifth, we need to remember that the Lord is the one who does the saving. And sixth, we need to remember this is about conversion and not just about baptism. If you have any questions about Christ Church, about becoming a member of Christ Church, about becoming a Christian, or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please give us a call at 615-794-2359, or you can contact us through our website, www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps somebody has given you this CD. If so, please go to that website I just mentioned. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous outlines and audio sermons that you can download on that site, and you're free to use them in any way you believe will glorify God. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.